Certainly it's good to have Jim back um, safe and sound and with so many answers to prayer. And uh, I believe I wasn't in here. Uh, most Wednesday nights I'm in a discipleship zone meeting, and so I was not in here. But I believe Dr. Young should be back in town as well. And uh, we'll be in the pulpit on Sunday, and um, we'll be back um, next Wednesday night. And I think he's going to be in Romans chapter 8 next Wednesday night. If I was a betting man, that'd be my bet. And uh, if anybody wants to put a little money on that, see me immediately after the, after the uh, Bible study tonight. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We were in verses 1 through 3 last week, and we'll be in verses 4 through 7. And at some point in the future, perhaps the Lord willing... Um, we'll finish the chapter. Um, it'd be a good chapter to finish because at the end of the chapter, verses 8 through 13, um, the opening verses talk about love being so essential. The middle verses talk about um, love um, being exalted, uh, or not love being exalted, rather love being explained. Then at the end of the chapter, verses 8 through 13, it talks about love being exalted because faith, hope, and love, these three, and the greatest of these is love. But it also has, in uh, in verse 12, uh, this controversial reference about tongues will pass away, prophecies will fail, when that which is perfect has come. Maybe at some point in the future we'll we'll get there because that has been an oft-debated portion of Scripture about the function of gifts and love and so on. And uh, But in God's providence, we'll not be there tonight. However, let's orient ourselves to the passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, remember, when the Bible was written, there were no verse references and there were no chapter divisions. It was written as a letter. Uh, The verses have been added, the numbers have been added, and the chapter divisions have been added for our reference and for our ease. So if you go back to chapter 12 and you look at verse 31, this follows a lengthy explanation of gifts. Spiritual gifts were uh, being abused and creating incredible Um, chaotic uh, worship moments uh, in Corinth. And so after the end of chapter 12 and some lengthy explanation about the function of gifts, Paul says this in verse 31, chapter 12, but earnestly desire the best gifts, but I show you a more excellent way. And so the excellent way is demonstrated or explained and applied in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is the way of love. Uh, So we'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 13, but we'll really focus on verses 4 through 7. Uh, This is God's word. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, in verse 2, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. In verse 6, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, but then I shall be known just, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Music is a very powerful medium, isn't it? A friend of mine here at Grace recently put together a compilation of music and gave it to me on a recent Sunday. He had smuggled it in in the, in the fly leaf of his Bible and handed it to me after Sunday school class. It's a very eclectic CD. There's uh, Elton John is on there. Bob Dylan is on there. Sting is on there. Al Green is on there. Um, music is a very powerful thing. In fact, I can hear Seals and Crofts. This is going to date me. Um, Melinda and I graduated from high school in 1974. There was this duo called Seals and Croft. Anybody remember that, that, that group? Okay. The theme of, of my senior prom that year was Summer Breeze. Mm-hmm. Takes me away. We've got somebody that wants to sing it right here. Sonia? Uh, let's, let's give it up for Sonia. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's enough, Sonia. Um, but I can hear that song, Summer Breeze, and immediately I am in the most hideous tuxedo you could imagine. And I'm ashamed to tell you this, but it was a pink jacket <laughs> and dark trousers. Why I wore that, I have no idea. You've got to really be secure to wear something like that. Or you've got to be nuts to wear something like that. I'll let you figure out which one that was. Um, but immediately I'm there. What about this one? Steely Dan, Reeling in the Years. Are you stowing away the time? 1975. I'm in a canary yellow Subaru, which I call my Japanese sports car. <laughs> and I am running around Missionary Ridge in Chattanooga with all four windows down listening to Steely Dan. What about this one? Alice Cooper, school's out for the summer. Um, you, you know, we could just go on and on and on where you could remember. Sometimes I listen to Dave Ramsey in the afternoon if I have to go pick our son up from school about 3.30 or 4 or so. Dave Ramsey, 9.90 a.m. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What's his theme song? It plays it before it goes to the break at the top of the hour. Anybody remember, recognize that? Pink Floyd, money. Um, Sonny's going to sing that for us, too. (laughs) Um, Music is such a powerful, powerful thing. All right, this is going to date us a little bit, too. Some of you folks will have no idea who I'm talking about. Some of you will. Bert Bacharach, songwriter for four decades, four decades, uh, wrote songs across various genres, rhythm and blues, pop, country, musical scores to movies and so on. What about this one? Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, B.J. Thomas. Uh, that was the theme from Butch Casting, Sundance Kid. Uh, what about this one? Dion Warwick recorded this one, Walk On By. Do you know the way to San Jose? Uh, this one was done twice. It depends on your gender. Herb Albert did it. It was This Guy's In Love With You. Dion Warwick did it. Uh, this Girl's In Love With You. Today you could do it and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> <clears throat> well, um, but one of the more famous songs that Bert, you say, well, what does all that have to do with love? Absolutely nothing. But this song does. 1965, May 1965, number seven on the charts, recorded by Jackie DeShannon. What the world needs now is what? Love, sweet love. You're exactly right. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. 
What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. And listen to these wonderful, melodious lyrics. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's kind of catchy, isn't it? Um, no, not just for some, but for everyone. Now listen to this one. Lord, we don't need another metal. There are cornfields and wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams and moonbeams enough to shine. Oh, listen, Lord, if you want to know. That's not theologically correct, but it was singable and it was a hit. Well, it leads to this question, what kind of love do we need? If, if there's the only thing there's just too little of, what kind of love do we need? Well... Last week, we talked about um, the different kinds of love that's used uh, in the, in the uh, Greek language. We just have one word for love. We understand the nuances, the subtleties of how that's used. What kind of love do we need? Do we need more of this kind of love? Do we need more of this passion, this desire, this sensual aspect? Do we need more of uh, this kind of um, of love, this natural affection of a parent for a child and children for parents? Do we need more of this kind of love, the friendship kind that's born of a, of a mutual um, understanding and affinity and likes and so on? Or do we need more of this kind of love, the kind that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? We need more of this kind of love. Um, there is a show that's coming out on HBO. I don't have HBO, but um, I read recently there's a show coming out on HBO. It's coming out on Sunday nights. Um, it's going to take the place of The Sopranos at Wholesome Entertainment. Um, and the name of it's going to be Big Love. That's the name of it, Big Love. It's about a man who has three wives. It's based on polygamy. Um, when you go through the, the stands at Kroger or Schnucks or, or wherever, and you see that, that the whole uh, Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson thing, it's all, folks. It's, just get over it. It's all. It's just they're not going to make it. Uh, ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner. What about this one? Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. I mean, he's jumping on the couch at Oprah, and now apparently they're not, they're not going to make it. So what the world needs now is love. What kind do we need? We don't need... We're soaked in this. We could use a little more of that. We could all use friends. I certainly need one or two. But what the text says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when it says what we need now is love, it's talking about this kind of love. And last week we looked at the first three verses. And in those first three verses it talks about love being absolutely essential. Because in verse 1, our communication is ineloquent. It's ineffective without this kind of love. And Paul uses religious hyperbole. He's overstating. He's making an exaggeration for an intended effect here. When he says, though I have the, the, the ability to speak with the tongues of men, of angels, he's talking about this incredible eloquence. And though I have not love, he says, I, I have the impact. I have the, the effect of being a... Sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, that is, it's not edifying. It doesn't have any 
redemptive or redeeming impact upon people. Love is absolutely essential if our contributions are going to be um, of a redemptive nature. And here I'm talking about spiritual gifts. We all have them. And verse 2, last week we looked and realized that if, if my gifts, the contributions that I would make or you would make, we would make to the kingdom of God are going to be edifying, they're going to be Christ-honoring, kingdom enlarging and uh, upbuilding, then they have to be motivated by love. And again, Paul is using religious hyperbole here to overstate the case. He says, though I have this incredible gift of prophecy and though I understand not some, but have all understanding and understand mysteries, uh, talking about spiritual illumination, though I have incredible spiritual insight, if that insight is not compelled and motivated by the love of God, then he says it, it makes renders me nothing. And though I have the ability to spiritually intervene in people's lives and do what is seemingly impossible in verse 2 to faith even, all faith, not some, not mustard seed, but mountain-moving faith to be able to remove mountains. And it's not motivated by the love of God in Christ. He says, I am nothing. And this word nothing, uh, a little particle in the Greek text, uthen, O-U-T-H-E-N, literally means zero, zilch, nada. I'm nothing. And then in verse 3, he says that even our charity, and here he's talking about um, liquidating our holdings and being able to parcel out by peace contributions so that the poor are fed and, and the naked are clothed and needs are met of a humanitarian nature. And if it's not motivated by love, he says it adds up to nothing. And even if I gave my body to be burned, martyrdom, uh, the, the grim export that's coming out of Saudi Arabia at the present time is suicide bombers. As they're doing background studies and so on, the leading uh, country represented in suicide bombings are uh, coming out of Saudi Arabia. It's hard for me to imagine strapping on TNT or, or C4 explosives or whatever and going into a crowd and detonating a bomb. And verse 3 says, Though I were to give my body to be burned, I willingly succumb to martyrdom. And it wasn't motivated by love. It would profit nothing. So last week we looked at love being absolutely essential. If the kingdom of God is going to be built and Christ is going to be honored and people are going to be edified and encouraged. So what the world needs now is more of this kind of love because this is the love that God is. It's His nature. First John uh, chapter 4.16 defines God as being love. God is a spirit, God is light, and God is love. And it's this kind of love that God has for humanity in general. He is a benevolent God. He causes the sun to rise on the good and evil and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, as Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. But He is especially loving to His people as our Savior and as our Father. He pours out His loving kindness upon us in profuse ways, day after day after day after day. This is the kind of love that the Father had for the Son and the kind of love that that He so loved He gave His Son. And this is the love, Romans 5 says, that's been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the kind of love, Galatians 5 says, that produces a fruit in our lives. In fact, it's the leading characteristic of those who have been born again. It's a litmus test 
to know in 1 John 3 that you've passed from death to life. Why? Because you love the brethren. Because you love the people of God. It's produced in our hearts by God the Father. We don't have this kind of love by nature. We do have this. We have passion. We have desire. We do have this. We, we naturally love our children. It's strained at times, but there's still that, that affection there. And we have a natural uh, fellowship and affinity. I was t- talking to Russell Dawes last week um, about uh, Chicago Bears football. Russell had lived in uh, Illinois at one time, and we were talking about uh, Mike Dick and the Chicago Bears and that kind of thing. You, you can have natural friendships based on common interests, but if you and I have a smidgen of this, it will be because God has brought our dead, stony hearts to life. And because I love this metaphor in Ezekiel 36, is because He's taken out the stony heart and He's given us a living, responsive heart and He's put His Spirit in there. And now we're able to feel and we're able to love as God loves Himself, obviously in a much less degree, but nevertheless the seed of that is present. We just don't have that kind of love by natural disposition. So God's love is absolutely essential for there to be anything of a redeeming impact whatsoever. Um, now, verses 4 through 7, just for about 15, 10 to 15 minutes here. God's love is explained, and there, there are so many words here that I'm not going to bore you by trying to define all these words. I'm not going to go into all kinds of detail, but I will summarize verses... Uh, four through seven, and try to make three observations from this uh, section of Scripture that will help explain the love of God. First of all, the first observation I would make is this, that the character of God's love, the character that God calls us to demonstrate and puts in our hearts, this agape love, is is illustrated by primarily two words. (laughs) Primarily two words. First of all, in verse 4, he says, Love is long-suffering, or love suffers long. Or if you have an NIV Bible or a New American Standard Bible, it may say love is patient. Anybody have a Bible that says that, love is patient? Um, The word for um, long-suffering there, or patient, or suffers long. Now, let me see if I've got this. Let's try that. That do anything? Nope. Let's try that. That do anything? Nope. Let's do this. <laughs> it is uh, a word. Is that coming up? It's macro. Uh, T h u m i a. Macrothumia. It's two words. Macro means long, and this means temper. Long-tempered. Love is patient. It suffers long. It simply means love doesn't have a short fuse. It's not quick-tempered. Now, this, this word is not with objects. I, I changed spark plugs one time on a, on a um, 1977 Buick Regal. When I married Melinda, I inherited this car. Um, we married in 82, so the car is about five years old. We had that car for 17 years. I remember taking our daughter to elementary school one day, and this little boy, Chris Wilson, was out pounding the erasers on the side of the um, on the side of Martin Elementary, and Jenny, seated by me, fell over like she had been shot. <laughs> Boom! And I said, "What is the matter with you?" She said, 
there's Chris Wilson. And I said, so? And she said, I don't want him. She's about in the second and third grade. I don't want to see him to see me getting out of this car. Chris, well, he's probably in prison somewhere now. <laughs> anyway, Chris, Chris Wilson. I've often wondered what happened to Chris Wilson. Um, 17 years, had this car, sold it for $200. And it was worth every penny. <laughs> if I remember correctly, the guy made four payments <laughs> uh, on that $200. But... Um, I changed spark plugs on this car and got so infuriated with, with the spark plugs. I broke one, and, and uh, after I did it, the, the car was not improved. It was still in the same shape it was in. This is not the kind, guys, this is not the kind of quick-tempered where you want to throw the wrench across the yard. This is patient with people. It's being long, suffering long with people. And one of the leading characteristics of this kind of love is this patience with people. There is a definite article in the original text in front of this where it says, the love. And Paul is saying this kind of love, the love that I'm describing is patient. Now, this is so important because most of us are not this way by nature. We're just not. But you think about how God has dealt with you. Has God not been patient with you? Has He not suffered long with you? Um, Moses in Exodus 33 says to the Lord, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God says, no man can see my face and live. And he hit him in the cleft of the rock. And he said, I will make all my glory pass before you. And as the glory of the Lord passed before Moses, in Exodus 34, verse 6, Here's what the Lord said to Moses. I am the Lord, and I am kind and gracious, and I am long-suffering. I am patient. I am patient. One time, one of our children, uh, we have two kids, a boy, a girl, and I won't tell you which one, but it's the male child, <laughs> was about three years old, and... Uh, it was a Saturday, and it had been, mom's dad's had been one of those days. Um, and, um, and we were going out, we were going to Pizza Hut or whatever, and before we went into Pizza Hut, I got down eyeball level and looked him in the eyes, and I said, look, one peep out of you in there, and I'm taking you to the bathroom, and I'm going to wear you out. And in my mind, I'm thinking, and I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. <laughs> Now, the Lord has never spoken to me in an audible voice, but I think if he did, his voice would sound like Jimmy Young. If, if I ever heard the Lord's voice, it would sound like Dr. Young. And it was almost when I raised up from this little boy looking me in the eyes, I felt like the Lord said, you know what, I've told you, and I've told you, and I've told you. How many of us, God has been so patient with sin and coldness and apathy and indifference and so the leading characteristic, the top of this list of this kind of love is that it suffers long, it's patient. Second thing in that list in verse 4 is that it's kind. This kind of love is, is kind. And this kindness here is an active word. 
um, by active word, I mean there's, there is a, a willingness to do good. There's an active, gracious, serving goodwill embedded in this. Now, let me stop at this point and say that certainly this word from which we get erotic, eroticism, eroticize, and so on, the whole idea of passion and sensuality, uh, the whole idea here, of course, is feeling, impulse, the rush of feeling. But this kind of love, and when Paul talks about this kind of love in verses 4 through 7, there's nothing here that it, it talks about feeling at all. In fact, there are 15, get this, there are 15 verbs in three verses. 15 verbs, action verbs, because this love is not about a state, it's not about feeling, it's not about emotion. It is a determined and settled commitment. It is a volitional choice that I will treat you in a loving manner. I will make the firm selfless commitment to treat you in a loving and in a kind manner. This kind of love is defined by what it does and not by what it feels. And this kind of love suffers long and is kind. There's an active, gracious, serving goodwill involved in this. The hard environment of a fallen world gives us abundant opportunity to demonstrate kindness. I uh, read um, about this conference in St. Louis that was sponsored by Focus on the Family. It's called Love One Out. Love One Out. And it's targeted toward those who are in the homosexual community who want to find a way out of the lifestyle. It was hosted in St. Louis at the First Evangelical Free Church. And, of course, the, the, the homosexual community, the active element, the activist element and the homosexual community began to marshal for a protest. If I understand this article correctly, and if I've misunderstood it, you correct me and I'll correct it publicly. But if I understood the article correctly, there were people at First Evangelical Free Church in St. Louis who put out porta-potties for demonstrators and protesters so that they would have facilities to use the bathroom while they protested. They went out and served them beverages, soft drinks, and water. And some of the protesters were so taken back by this demonstration of kindness that when someone defaced a billboard advertising the conference, one of the leading antagonists in this community sent out a mass email that says, please don't do that. We don't want any part of that at this event because they were overwhelmed by the kindness of the people at this church. This kind of love is actively kind. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president in the presidential uh, primary and running for the office, was slandered by a man by the name of Edward Stanton. Stanton referred to him as a gorilla. He said he was, he was a clown. He berated his appearance. He berated his politics. Lincoln won. And President Lincoln made Stanton his secretary of war. And when they asked why he would take a man who had slandered him, who had defamed his name and his character, place him in his cabinet, Lincoln said, it's very simple because he's the most qualified man I know to fill that role. When Lincoln was assassinated, when the assassin's bullet smote him and he was lying in state, Stanton paused at the coffin and wept and said, he's the best man that I ever knew. In the end, love and kindness won out. 
The first two characteristics on this list both have the definite article in front of them. The love, this kind of love, is patient. Look at how God has dealt with us. This kind of love is kind. There's an, there's an active benevolence, an, an outgoing of goodwill and compassion associated with this kind of love. So the first observation that, that I would make very simply is this, that you can see love by what it does, and the character of love is displayed in uh, the first two uh, statements there in verse 4. An interesting thing about, about this kindness uh, aspect, um, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. In Romans 2, 4, the Spirit of God opens our eyes to the kindness and the goodness of God, and we're led to repentance. It was the ministry of Christ that epitomized kindness. He was moved by compassion. But I love this reference in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, looking at a multitude of people. He said, all you who are weary, you're brokenhearted, you're beaten down by religion and by code-keeping and pharisaical obligations. All of you who are weary and broken, come to me and find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This word kind in 1 Corinthians 13.4 is the same word that's translated easy in Matthew 11.30. You could say this then. Jesus is saying, all of you who are weary, you're brokenhearted, you're beaten down, come to me for my yoke is kind. My yoke is kind. Isaiah says of the coming of Christ that one of the characteristics of his ministry would be this that he would not break a bruised reed and he would not quench a smoking flax or a smoking candle wick. That, I, I love that reference. What it's basically saying is that the Son of the living God, God incarnate, anointed with the Holy Spirit beyond measure, he didn't take broken people and break them further. He didn't take people who were hanging by a thread and cut the last cord, but he came and poured in the healing balm of grace and mercy and compassion. There was an active outgoing of His will. Matthew tells the story in the 8th chapter of Matthew's Gospel about this man who had leprosy. And leprosy meant that you were ostracized from your community. You were quarantined and you covered your face and had to cry, unclean, unclean. And if Eric Kragler is coming down the road and he's covered himself and he's crying out, unclean, unclean, if he got too close... We're going to throw rocks at him to keep him away. It's called Hansen's disease because it destroyed the nerve endings. It was horribly disfiguring. There's an old Steve McQueen movie called um, Papillon. Uh, Dustin Hoffman was in it. Anybody see that movie? Landed on a leper colony. If you read the book, um, supposedly based on a true story, the man that serves him the, the tea or the beverage, his finger falls off in the cup. Uh, it was so so horribly disfiguring. Luke chapter 11 says this leper that came to him was full of leprosy. Full of it. Meaning he was horribly disfigured. And this horribly disfigured man, ostracized, on the fringe, comes to Jesus and says, Master, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And he reaches out his hand like I would reach out and touch Joe 
hamster, a football coach at Briarcrest, head football coach at Briarcrest, reaches out and touches him and says, I'm willing to be cleansed. And the man was cleansed and made whole. This kindness, when the love of God is poured out in our hearts, there will be patience and there will be kindness and it will show up as the character of God in our lives very quickly. And I'm going to run out of time here. God's love is also explained by the contrasts that take place in the latter part of verse 4 and through verse 7. Notice the does nots that are in here, the negatives, the does nots. Um, Love does not envy, verse 4, does not parade itself, uh, is not puffed up, that is, it's not arrogant, uh, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Um, the, the list takes dead aim at some of the believers at Corinth in which there were incredible problems. They had incredible gifts. Chapter 1, Paul is commending them. He starts with the good news first and he says, you've been called into fellowship with uh, Christ and you've been enriched in every good gift. In chapter 1 he says, in fact, you come behind in no gift whatsoever. You are a gifted bunch. But listen, gifts, spiritual gifts does not inoculate us, it does not anesthetize us to other issues that may be present in our lives. Because this very gifted church was a divided church in chapter 1. Some said we follow Paul, some follow Peter, some Apollos, and some follow Christ. They had issues of immorality, undisciplined, unjudged immorality. They had brothers and sisters taking one another to court to settle their disputes. Last week it was Doug and me, and I said if Doug took me to lunch and and uh, said, I'm sorry, it took me to steak and ale or, or Owen Brennan's or somewhere nice for lunch and said, I'm sorry, I promised I'd drop the lawsuit. I'm still waiting. <laughs> but they had legal problems there. Can you see how the love of God poured out in our hearts would resolve the division? It would heal the breach. It would mend the fence. We'd forget the lawyers and we would work it out. They had problems at the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. People were becoming intoxicated um, at the Lord's Supper. They were not waiting on one another. In fact, they had so many problems there that you could have put the Surgeon General's warning above the door to the church, warning this church could be hazardous to your spiritual health. Because in chapter 11, verse 17, Paul says, When you come together, I'm not praising you. In fact, you're coming together not for the better. Your worship is not improving your situation. But what worship would not do, the love of God would do. So here are all these negatives. And you can see by contrast what the love of God is not. And if you took, very quickly, if you took the negatives out, perhaps this would be more indicative of the believers at Corinth. They were impatient. They were unkind. They were jealous. They were boastful and pretentious. They were arrogant, rude, self-serving, and quickly provoked. And you know what? Apart from the Holy Spirit's presence in my life and apart from the fresh infusion of God's love in my life, I am every one of those things and more. Every one of those things and more. Love is explained by our experience of God's love and saving activity. God demonstrated His love in action. He came. He lived He obeyed, he suffered, he absorbed his own wrath and penalty, was raised from the dead, ever lives to make intercession for us, and he's coming back again. 
The love of God finds concrete expression. And when this love is poured out in our hearts, it finds concrete expression in action and words and deeds. All right, very quickly. Great. You say, well, that's wonderful. I don't have any of that on any consistent basis. What would I do about it? Let me just suggest in closing a couple of things. First of all, um, that's why the Bible says that we need to be constantly filled with the Spirit. Is because apart from His presence and power in our lives, we just can't muster this with any degree of consistency whatsoever. Probably the, the leading analogy of our union with Christ, at least in my mind, is in John 15 where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Abide in me. And it's only as, as we abide in Christ, live out of that union, live out of the relationship that is ours in Christ, that we're able to demonstrate any of these qualities or characteristics. How do we do that? We, we relinquish our, our will. We remain connected to Christ. We are honest about the state of our hearts before the Lord. God, I'm unloving and I'm unkind. I don't see this in my life. And therefore, grant me the grace of repentance and soften my heart and fill me with this. Um, Jude, um, I started to say Jude chapter, but they're in the chapter in Jude, is it? Uh, Jude, uh, verse 20, 21, talks about praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God. Our union with Christ, prayer, honesty before God, and asking for the Lord to fill us with His Spirit would cause these characteristics to be more consistently displayed in our lives. What kind of love does the world need now? The kind that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. The kind that the God, God the Father has poured out in us by His Spirit. The kind that He calls us to demonstrate to be kindness in a hard crowd. Let's pray. Father, um, if we're honest before You tonight, uh, just in our own hearts, um, we recognize that, that we don't embrace or embody this in any consistent fashion. Whatsoever, And therefore, we do pray for the grace of repentance and the grace of honesty and, and ask that you'd enable us to so abide in Christ that our lives would increasingly reflect this kind of fruit and this kind of character. What a life-transforming impact. What a redemptive impact this would have in our homes, our families, our community. What an impact it would have um, at Gracie Van. What an impact it would have in the world. And toward this end, we pray and uh, pray for Christ's honor, for his glory, and just beg of you to do all that's necessary in our lives that we might become more like Jesus and show more of his heart and character. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Lord willing, see you all Sunday. Our pastor's back.